Welcome to Love Takes Action. I'm your host, Ellen Adair, and I have the privilege of speaking with people across the country who have faced adversity, conquered their fears, and in the process made unexpected and extraordinary impacts on their communities. Join me as we delve into these amazing stories and meet the people who are changing the world by putting love into action. Love Takes Action is brought to you by New York Life, helping people build better futures since 1845. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, we're going to spend some time with Victoria Kucharski as she shares the amazing story of her father, Chuck Hayden, a true Renaissance man, and her emotional experience caring for him at 96 after a life-altering stroke. All while he continues to remain a beloved friend and inspiration to all who know him, thanks to his indelible spirit and uniquely magnetic character. My dad was interested in everyone. This is how I remember my dad with the power of Hercules. It was never boring. I think the best feeling in the world is when you can be there for the people that were there for you. So, Victoria, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We're going to talk a lot about you and your experience today, but also a lot of it is going to be about your relationship to your father, too. So can you introduce us to Chuck Hayden? Who is your dad? Wow, that's a loaded question. (laughs) My dad is Chuck Hayden. He is originally from Portland, Oregon. He is an artist. Well, he's 96 years old now. So he started out going to school in California, went to Chouinard Institute for art, moved out to the East Coast when he was hired by NW Air Advertising in Philadelphia and continued his career in advertising as an art director. While at the same time, he purchased a farm nearby to his home in Philadelphia. He had that farm for 46 years, and he rode the National Rodeo Circuit. He was a calf roper. Amazing. (laughs) And for a few summers, he had a camp for boys, and he taught them calf roping, guitar, They built numerous cabins on the property. We had a lake there, so there was lots of fishing going on and took them to the rodeo every Saturday night. So I was born in the midst of all this in Philadelphia with my two older sisters. We spent our weekends and as much of the summer as we could out on the farm. My father commuted back and forth into Philadelphia. It's probably about a half hour drive from there. He did that for many, 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 many years. While two of those years, he commuted to New York City working at J. Walter Thompson Advertising. And so that was a crazy commute, Mm -hmm. four hours a day. And uh, we still went to the farm every weekend. He did an unbelievable renovation of this enormous barn that was on the farm property. And my dad did all the labor, renovating this massive building. Amazing. My mother was probably the exact opposite human of my father. Mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. But she was a trooper and went along with all of it. We did literally like farm things. He had calves and horses and a turkey, a goat, you know, we had all kinds of different animals there. 
And in the interim of all this, he was also a musician. So wow. he played the banjo since he was nine years old. And during the whole banjo scene, he got into classical guitar. So he kind of raised us with all of these interests, like he wanted us to be horsewomen and he wanted us to play the guitar and he kind of like take on a lot of his interests. And we were definitely not horsewomen. <laughs> we did learn how to drive the tractor on the farm and stuff like that, but we were kind of city folk, I would say, but had such a love for everything he loved, but obviously not to the extent where we were going to get into barrel racing and things like that. Totally. Yeah. So at Jay Walter, he became like a commercial producer and still had some art directing going on. And, and he became an illustrator. Mm. He has published some books on magic markers, on his style of drawing. And he taught at the Students' Art League in New York City. He taught at the Philadelphia College of Art. That's actually how he met my mother in Philadelphia. Mm. One of his students introduced him to my mother. Where's your mother from? She's from the Philippines, actually. Oh, so culturally, you can't get to more different people the way they were raised, but they had the same desires as far as family, raising children together. Hmm. And my mother was this beautiful woman, and he was just so attracted to her. So they had a very incredibly cultural, social environment that they surrounded themselves in, as well as artistic and creative. It was quite amazing to be amongst yeah. the two of them, you know, growing up and having all of these influences come into our world. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I'm also from Philadelphia. So that is one thing that we have in common. But listening to you talk about your parents, I really feel like my parents would really be friends with your parents. <laughs> my mom is from Portland, Oregon. Oh, no. And she's an crazy. art historian. Wow. She's the director of American Art at the Philadelphia Museum. And my dad is also a writer and an illustrator. He's retired, but he was a, a folklore professor. And he also plays the banjo. And he does not do barrel racing, but he wears cowboy boots and cowboy shirts every single day of his life. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I sort of have my own experience growing up in, I think you said that they have this sort of vortex of cultural and social brilliance. Tell me just a little bit more of what it was like for you growing up with a Renaissance man for a dad and artists for both of your parents. You know, it's funny, as a child, you don't know any different. You know, you're brought into the world that you're brought into. So for me, I was just always in such interesting places, always just having such fun experiences from the farm and the rodeos to the photo shoots for commercials. You know, he did uh, tingly rubber boots commercial and he used us, his three girls, for all the print ads. Mm. You know, he included us in all that stuff. So we were always amongst his community of friends and co-workers and we just were always so engaged in this world that was kind of like not a childhood world. It was like more of an adult world mm. with adult fun experiences. I mean, they were all healthy, you know, mm -hmm. they were on the straight and narrow, my parents. You know, I always like to say he was of that mad man world, but he was not one of them socially. Like he was not a drinker. He was extremely devoted to my mom and us. You know, he was a total family man, 
total. I mean, his days were long, but when he got home from those days, it was all about us. And he was an extremely engaged dad when we were younger. We had the corner brownstone. So it was oh, yeah. this massive, most so beautiful, nice. gorgeous building. And on the top, top floor was his studio. Mm. And we loved his studio. Like we would draw and he had markers everywhere. <laughs> but he totally encouraged us to be in that room with him and draw, you know. And then he made a playroom for us on one of the floors and he put in a trapeze and like a rope swing. <laughs> it was so wild for me. Like I had gone to some friends' homes and like my world. You're like, where's the trapeze? Yes. Um, excuse me, where's the rope swing? Doesn't, yeah. doesn't everybody's parents do this for them? Yeah. yeah. So my world was really different from them. I mean, I was feeding calves on top of doing that kind of fun stuff in the city, you know. So when I started realizing that there was a world outside of my family and getting old enough to enjoy friends, you know, at their homes, it was then that I realized, wow, my family is pretty special. Like these experiences that I'm having are quite different from my friends. Mm -hmm. So it was quite an amazing ride, I would say. Um, yeah. It was never boring, never, ever boring. And I kind of just looked up at my dad as this renaissance man. There was nothing he couldn't do, I felt. And he never stopped. He never stopped moving. He would be up also until two o'clock in the morning practicing his classical guitar. There was this perfectionism about him, for sure. He definitely mm. was a perfectionist. So for my sisters and I, when we were, you know, super duper young, it was just incredibly fun and incredibly interesting and incredibly scary at times. You know, we would be horseback riding. Horseback riding is scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, that alone. Or we would be in a car and on our little travels, see these beautiful properties. And a lot of the properties were like, no trespassing signs everywhere, you know, do not. And my dad just would have this attitude like, oh, let's go check this out. Let's go see what's behind these woods. And, and this looks oh really goodness. interesting. And I'm like, Daddy, there's a no trespassing sign right there. We're not allowed to go in. And he's like, oh, that's for bad people. That's for people that, you know, want to come in and probably take things that don't belong to them. But we're just going to go in and check it out a little bit and see what's back here. Like, it just was the most bizarre thing for me because as a young person, it's like you follow rules. And here's my dad, obviously not following a large sign that says do not enter. That used to petrify me. And of course, he was just curious. You know, he was just a curious guy and he loved adventures and he loved investigating new things and nothing seemed to stop him. And he was completely harmless. Here he was with his three little girls walking up a driveway of somebody's house, you know. But he met millions of people that way. Everybody liked him. That was an anomaly to me, how he had this way about him that made everybody so comfortable and made him so approachable. And they were just like, oh, cool. He wants to learn about me. And they immediately were like open to talking about themselves to him. My dad was interested in everyone because yeah. he was this just such a personable guy with three cute little girls by his side. So how could they get upset with him, right? Right. It sounds to me like he was really such a genius of so many realms, right? Like, so 
He's a genius of the physical realm, i.e. he can be in rodeo events and he can also renovate a barn, which is a very physical thing. And then he's a creative genius, right? Because he's coming up with new advertising and he's good at learning different musical instruments and stuff like that. But he also has, it sounds like, so much emotional intelligence to be able to really meet people where they are. Absolutely. It's incredible. That blew my mind. Yeah. That always blew my mind. And I studied him all the time. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I would just watch him. And he was amazing to me. And I guess I kind of have that same, I mean, I'm very interested in people. I love asking about them and where they come Mm -hmm. from and what they do and how they do it. And are they happy? And like, that's my thing. And I think obviously I get that from him. So he's 96 years old. Okay. And he's had many rodeo injuries. In the 70s, he had a spinal tap operation. They screwed up his legs entirely. It killed all the nerves in his legs. Oh my goodness. So- He was like, I don't know, when that happened, probably 40 years old-ish. He lost all the muscles from his hips down. So he faked it. He he always used to say, I'm on, you know, I faked it. You know, he literally faked everything he did. So climbing up on a ladder to get the hornet's nest out of a tree in the pasture, you know, he used to draw illustrations of these hysterical cartoon drawings of him like almost falling to his death with all the hornets chasing after him. And it was hysterical. In fact, we're going through thousands of those illustrations right now, my sisters and I, trying to decide what we're going to do with them all. Mm. Drawing of these absolutely insanely dangerous predicaments he would get into at the farm. Goodness. And then also while he's sitting in ad agencies waiting to go talk to somebody, you know, He captured everybody's little comments that were hysterical. Mm -hmm. So it's like a journal of his whole life through his own illustrations that he made. Amazing. So that was so fun. Every day he would come home and we'd be like, Daddy, how was your day today? And he'd take out his big sketchbook and he would show us. Well, I'll show you what my day was like, you know, and he had the drawings of everything that happened during his day. Here are all the ways I almost died. Yeah. Yeah. And all the crazy things that happened in New York City during his little shoots and things like that. Yeah. You mentioned the ad campaign that the three of you were in. Are there other ad campaigns that we might be familiar with that your father was involved in? The Army was his probably biggest one Mm. that he did. You know, he did HBO, Movie Channel. He did a bunch. My older sisters would probably be able to shoot them off really well. My sisters actually are artists as well. I actually went into the acting world for a while. I studied drama at Syracuse. and Oh, that's a good program. Yeah. So we definitely all got some creative juice from him. Mm -hmm. It definitely sounds like it. Yeah. So your father has worn so many hats in his life. It's like a 10-gallon life, basically. But another hat that I know that he had later in life was also taking care of your mother. Isn't that right? Yeah. And he was amazing. My mother had Parkinson's. It was probably a 10-year span from the time she was becoming ill until the time she passed. And my dad pretty much was her sole caregiver up until the very end when it, I mean, it was physically demanding. And he still 
went to the farm on the weekends, you know, and got away. I mean, he had to. The poor guy was like, I don't know how he did it. All I can say is he aged 20 years in those 10. I mean, for sure, if not mm. 30 years. I mean, you could see you could see the absolute exhaustion, emotional and physical, on my dad. Like I said, extremely devoted to my mom. It just did everything. Took her to Arizona, to the Mayo Clinic. Like, we tried everything to figure out what we could possibly do to slow this process down, to completely eliminate this disease from her. I mean, everything. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly my father because my sisters and I were getting married, having babies, living in different parts of the country, and we couldn't really be there to help my dad. So it was my dad. Yeah. It was my dad. And eventually towards the end, I moved back home. My other sister eventually moved back home, but it was so wearing on him. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget the morning that I went over after he called us and told us over the phone that she had passed and we all ran over as soon as we could. And he was just sitting there on his side of the bed looking at my mom. And of course, she looked absolutely gorgeous even at her death. And it was the first time I saw my dad powerless and empty and weak and nothing like he was, and it just broke my heart. And hmm. I walked over and I just sat on his lap and I just put my arms around his head and I gave him a huge hug. And hmm. it was a weird position to be in, you know? It was, it was just excruciating to see him like that. And he just said she was the most amazing mom, she was the most amazing person, and, and just empty, you know? Yeah. I can see why that moment would stick with you so much because it's almost the moment that maybe started to herald the transition to this next part of your life with your father. Yeah. This next realization that my dad was not eternally a superhero. Mm -hmm. So my dad's 96 years old, and for all intents and purposes, the man should be unable to walk. He has neuropathy, dropped foot, spinal stenosis. He has still the repercussions of the spinal tab surgery that went awry. He should not be walking. His legs are like toothpicks because there's no muscles in them. And he is still walking and moving with the strength of his arms and his intense stubbornness and will to not give in, mm -hmm. to not seem weak. And that blows my mind more than anything. This is how I remember my dad with the power of Hercules in his arms and his will. Sounds like a superhero to me. Yeah. Yeah. Superpowers for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned that he had aged 20 years in the 10 years that he was taking care of your mother. Did you see his health sort of continue to decline after that, after that moment that you were talking about earlier? You know, honestly, the only decline, because after my mother passed, he did regain so much of what he was. Like, we saw that come back to life. Hmm. He continued on all of his projects. He was a project guy. He was a doer. So that kept him going. If something ended, he just looked for the next thing to begin as far as creative projects. So the only decline we saw was in his eyesight. 
Mm. He started getting the macular degeneration. So that really freaked my sisters and I out because he's an artist. He draws, he paints, he, you know, he drives. Um, and that is what our first major concern was. He loved to drive, loved to drive. That was his lifeline, being able to drive. And he was driving his vintage Volkswagen car and he would travel to the farm two hours down and two hours back. Mm -hmm. And he would come home late at night all the time. And we just, that had to stop. So this was when he was in his 80s. Mm -hmm. Was that what sort of precipitated for your family thinking that he needed more care and more support? Because he was living by himself at that point, right? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Thank God for my older sister being the eldest. It's not always the easiest job. So she definitely made the hard choice of having to tell my father that he needed to sell the farm. And that was less than a year after my mother passed. Mm. And my sister used to always tell him, Daddy, you're going to die in a ravine with your tractor lying on top of you. And he's like, well, that wouldn't be a bad way to go then, would it? So the mentality was just... Not of a normal person. Well, you'd grown up with him showing you cartoons of all the ways in which he almost died. Yes. like, And yeah. you're like, now we're adults and we're very habituated to the notion that you are constantly trying to kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and loving it, you know. He thrived off of that stuff. He had no fear. My father had no fear. No fear. Yeah, he's just such a force of nature. Yeah. Yeah. So my sister said, listen, when you go, we don't want to be left with all these decisions to be made. What to do with this 120 acre farm? Mm -hmm. So it was that that preempted him to sell, you know, like, okay, maybe it would be selfish of me to leave my children to have to deal with all this after I'm gone. So right after 46 so years, he sold it. Mm hmm. It must have been hard to make a decision ultimately when that time came about, you know, whether or not he was going to be cared for at home with one of your sisters or finding a healthcare facility for him. So that wasn't until his stroke that he had. Hmm. At his age, there was really not much we could do other than rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And that really helped tremendously. And every therapist fell head over heels in love with my dad. Mm -hmm. which was so normal. I just will always remember the nurses, the caregivers, the therapists, the doctors always telling me, you know, your dad's a really special guy. And I'm like, yep, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. He's just so personable, so funny. His sense of humor, always intact. And at the right moment, you know, it was just incredible. So we brought him home and... My eldest sister is the only one who could accommodate my father in her home. So thank God for my sister. She will, like, go straight to heaven for that one. But that's what we've been doing. That's where we are today, except for the added dementia that has been taking over rapidly. Mm -hmm. It's been grief every day for my sister, having to see him as she goes in and out of her house for work, and she comes home and spends a little time with him. My other sister and I go over during the week also. We take two days each 
I hang out for about three hours with him. I read him books about Montana, which is where his mother's family's from. Hmm. He actually takes piano lessons twice a week. He's been learning with his dementia and all to sit at the piano and learn the piano. He's never learned the piano before in his life. And he still plays his banjo. We watch professional bull riding on YouTube. He gets out every single day. Mm. And so the fact that he's able to get out every day is everything to him, I think. The fact that he can see us on a daily basis is everything. He has his grandchildren around frequently. He is in the best possible care I think he's extremely blessed in that regard. Yeah, certainly for the kind of person that he is, I think just to be able to still go out and interact with the rest of the community, I'm sure it's so important to him. It's the way that he's lived the rest of his life. And so to be able to do that now, really, it does seem like it's everything. Oh, yeah. His friends still want to come visit him, you know, um, the guys that he used to do open mic night with. He's done a bunch of different open mic nights in several locations in his community. And they always ask about him and they'll stop in if they see him out on the porch. He doesn't quite remember everybody, um, but it's the short-term memory that's the worst. Um, So Hmm. he might be able to remember to give him some time and put a guitar in his hand and they have a guitar and they start playing. He'll start remembering. So that's really special. I have a cousin that lives out in Brooklyn who plays the guitar and the banjo with my dad, and he's unbelievable. He reserves certain days to come out and visit his Uncle Chuck and play with him Hmm. and You know, most of the people he knows that play with him are super young and they really are incredible to be able to still come and visit him. And I I just love that. It makes him feel really special. It makes us realize how special he really is and how special the people that come and visit him are. You know, it's not always comfortable when you don't know if someone's going to remember you or not. But music always seems to be that opening that allows Mm -hmm. for that to happen. Yeah, because music, basically, it it gives us direct access to our emotions, I think. Yeah. And it bypasses everything else. It's like a direct window into the soul. So yeah, it's such a great way for people to be able to connect. Totally. I love this so much because it's about your dad, but it's also about the love that's in the community, right? Like It's also about how amazing all the people are or the qualities that he brings out in other people to like to be supportive and and to be loving and to show up. And I know you've talked about this a little bit, but what is it about Chuck that helps to create that, do you think? His fearlessness. Mm. He's never been afraid to fail at anything. And he has never been afraid to meet people and put himself out there. And it's not something he learned It's just who he is. Mm -hmm. He has the ability to try things that he thinks would be good for him, that would be a positive in his life, that could go to bigger and better adventures, you know, and he wants to see those adventures happen. He wants to see everything that could possibly be. He wants to create a life. He wants to create projects. He wants to create friendships. He wants to create growth, you know, and he just never stopped doing things and never saw a barricade for anything, just like that no trespassing sign. He didn't see that no Mm -hmm. trespassing sign. He never saw barricades in his life. Mm. So beautifully said. So how are you and your sisters doing today? My middle sister, she's so 
emotionally open and available to my dad. She's so cognizant of all of his needs emotionally. She's so loving. You know, she lies with him at bed at night and talks about things that might be uncomfortable for him to talk about, but wants to ask him if there's anything he wants to talk about. You know, like she goes deep. She goes deep with my dad in that way. She's very equipped Mm. and in a good place like that. And my older sister, as I said, she's having the hardest time out of all three of us. She's experiencing grief on a daily basis and it's affecting her. She is trying to learn how to have fun and be happy at a time that is very sad. And it's hard for her. Yeah. Because it's in your face every single day, the struggle of how he struggles. And that's really hard because she was the eldest. I kind of feel like in our youth, they had a very, very close bond that I definitely didn't with my dad. You know, our bond was different. Hmm. We all had different bonds with my dad. They were all wonderful, but different. And so I think that's the way we are at this point in our life right now. We're handling those bonds with our dads all differently. Myself, I enjoy finding that one thing that lights my father up. And I think it's the singing to him. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. I can give that to him. And that makes me feel good. But at the same time, I feel like part of my personality is clinging to those incredible memories of who my dad was in his best years. And I cling to those. Mm -hmm. Just like I have that same feeling with my mom. My mom left this earth, but she really hasn't left me ever. And I just feel like that's how I'm behaving with my dad. He's slowly leaving this earth in a way that's really sad, but I'm not clinging to that. I'm clinging to the best years of my dad's life and remembering them so vividly. And I, I love being able to talk about him. Mm -hmm. He's one of a kind. He's just one of a kind. And I love that. I love that I was so fortunate to have him. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do karaoke with my dad. I'll put a song on and the lyrics and I'll sing to him and some of the songs I know by heart and I'll look into his eyes. And my dad was never like a look into your eyes type of person, but he will look into my eyes when I'm singing so close to his face and talk about getting into your soul. Like I feel like his eyes are looking into my soul and he'll just start to tear up. And mm. it's really incredible. It's the closest I've ever felt emotionally with my dad. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's really That's cool. It's so beautiful. It's very cool. So I like doing that a lot. Yeah. Especially, you know, as you were referencing some of the difficulties for your sister and, and a lot of the challenges that have come up with this to be able to be like, actually, the best connection that we've ever had, we've had in this part of our lives together is really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he had so much going on all the time. So we watched him from afar, you know, unless we were at the farm or engaged in it with him. But you can imagine the guy was a pretty busy dude. Yeah. But now I'm really like engaging with him in an emotionally close way, which I don't know if he always felt comfortable with when we were young to that capacity. You know, he was always very affectionate as a dad, you know, like just doing the dad type of things. But now we're like looking into each other's eyes and he's telling me how much he loves me just by looking at me. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And he's such an incredible human. So I know that's what makes you happy and what makes everybody who's with him happy as well. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up with a slightly more rapid fire question and answer session. So my first question for you is what gets you through as a caretaker? Seeing him smile. Mm. Seeing him be happy. Yeah. Beautiful. My second question is what would you change if you could about the process specifically of caretaking for your father in the later part of his life? God, I think we were right on. Mm. I think we hit each moment in time exactly when we needed to and got him everything he needed when he needed it. So I don't think I'd change anything. That's the best answer to that question. Yeah, he lived as independently as he could for as long as he possibly could. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you wish you knew at the start of this process with your father that you know now? I think just being more aware of that something like this could happen. You know what it is? It's like death. It's like, are you ever prepared for it? No, my mother was sick and dying for however many long years. And then when she finally died, was I prepared? No. Mm -hmm. You just, you're never prepared for the emotional side of it. I think we were fortunate that my dad had the finances to be able to put things in place that needed to be in place. So that we were prepared for. Honestly, I, I just think that we have been so lucky to have to go through something as sad as dementia and stroke to do it in the best possible way and to be able to be located so close to him already that we were there for him. And I think the best feeling in the world is when you can be there for the people that were there for you. And just you can't feel anything but happiness when you're able to be there for them. Mm. Yeah. That feels like the whole human truth. So my next question is, some people say that the real death of a person happens when that person is no longer talked about or no longer thought of. I remember you mentioning that you know that your mother is still with you. So I know that you feel like friends and family ensure that that never happens. So my question is, how do you ensure that you make that happen? Since the day my children were born, my mother was in their life. And when she passed away, I always spoke of my mother and what she would say if she were here. Mm. I would just come out and say, do you know what your grandmother is thinking right now? Do you know what she is saying right now? And I would say it in her voice and they would love it. My mother was a character. My father's a character. You can't help include them in your everyday words. Mm -hmm. They make everyone laugh and cry and happy. And if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be who I am, who my kids see me as. And in order for me to continue being who I am, I can't do it without talking about them all the time. So it's what we do. We just talk about our family all the time. I love that. I particularly love, do you know what your grandmother is thinking right now? It's so good. It's perfect. It's perfect. So my last question is, do you have a motto? Never forget where you came from. Mm, beautiful. Who I am is such a direct result, and I see it in my own kids. I see it in my own kids. I know exactly where they came from, each one of them, and who they are getting things from. And it's really cool to see, and why would you ever not want to continue that coolness about family and genealogy and history? Yeah. 
This whole conversation is really about the thread that goes through all of us with our family. And it's been so beautiful to hear you talk about yours. Well, I appreciate you being able to let me talk about him. Oh, I don't even know him, but it's a gift to know him through you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Love Takes Action. If you like what you hear, we invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, add your comments, and share with your friends and family. It's a chance to celebrate the voices of our inspiring guests and their wonderful stories. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or visit our website at newyorklife.com. Love Takes Action is brought to you by New York Life and is for general informational purposes only. References to any financial products or strategies are solely incidental and may not be construed as a solicitation. The views and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the guests and hosts. They do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of New York Life Insurance Company or its subsidiaries.